Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is host of the Love It or Leave It podcast and co-host of Pod Save America, John Lovett. John and I talk about making the jump from Obama speechwriter to podcast host, what it was like to see a blockbuster gay love story as a teen, and the movies that changed his life. If you're enjoying the show and haven't given us a review yet, please do or join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Movies That Changed My Life. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with John Lovett. John, welcome to Movies That Changed My Life. You are a very special guest. All of our guests are very special, but you're especially special because you are our first podcaster guest wow uh we're we're looking to expand the uh guest pool for season two and we're like we need to get some more (laughs) podcasting folk in here to talk about movies i would say so it's i mean in the year 2021 there is nothing less special than being a podcast (laughs) host but i really appreciate uh the the polite uh suggestion otherwise (laughs) <laughs> uh, for folks who are listening and they may not know who you are, uh, you are the host, one of the hosts of Pots of America and the host of Love It or Leave It, among many other things. Uh, but for those who don't know, again, what do you mind talking a little bit about both those shows? John Favreau, Tommy Vitor, and I started a company called Crooked Media a couple of years ago based on the idea that uh, there were a lot of people out there that were sick of political conversations and political conver- uh, political coverage generally that treated people more like cynical observers than mm. frustrated participants, which is what we are. We wanted to have conversations that were serious, but also like not self-serious, that um, talked about what was broken, but what people could do to fix it. And so we started this uh, this new progressive media company. We launched with Pond Save America. We launched a bunch of other shows uh, Pod Save America, we just talk about the weekly news, love it or leave it as more of a comedy show. Pod Save the World is a, uh, a show about foreign policy, but we've brought in tons of 
new hosts and voices uh, to represent a diverse range of perspectives to cover the news and pop culture. And and we just launched a new uh, sports show, Take Line, with, with Renee Montgomery and Jason Concepcion. So, like, we just want to give people a place where they can, you know, follow everything from political news to sports and pop culture in a way that uh, uh, is fun and uh, has a progressive point of view. Yeah, and I mean, Pods of America, I feel like when that show came out, that had a similar effect on the podcast world and like on like a pop culture level, I think similar to Serial. Like I account Serial and Pods of America to be two like kind of landmark points in like podcast culture if that's like not a goofy thing to say but i mean i mean it's just I never, two it's huge wild things that... <laughs> okay sure yeah i mean you said it no i yeah. i've never heard that before and i really don't mind hearing it you know yeah people might think why is he talking about movies here it's because you also have like a background in the film industry too correct like you were a, a consulting producer and like co-writer and co-created various sitcoms and all stuff uh, do you want to talk about those various roles uh, look, I uh, so I was a speechwriter for Hillary Clinton and for President Barack Obama, and then I really felt like I wanted to try a different kind of writing. I did. I helped create a sitcom with uh, Jason Weiner and Josh Gad called Sixteen Hundred Pen, uh, which had one perfect season. Uh, actually, now, <laughs> now, you know, now in a, a kind of changing media landscape, I think I, actually it was just a miniseries. That's how I prefer mm. to see it. Um, we there didn't it need is, yeah. to tell more than thirteen stories, uh, and I think yeah. that that was the right amount. Uh, it was not just a mid-season replacement show that didn't last. It was a miniseries uh, that <laughs> ran the exact right number of episodes. I worked on the newsroom, um, and uh, um, and. Uh, worked on a couple of pilots and then uh, podcasting came along and I stopped writing and it was the coolest thing I ever got to stop doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but people can hear your comedic uh, wisdom and uh, quips on Love It or Leave It, which is a slightly more, like you said, sort of comedy tone towards like the politics landscape. Uh, I was listening to Love It or Leave It the other day. I was kind of went backwards into some that I had missed. Uh, the one you had with Kumail Nanjiani, which I believe was the day after uh, Biden's inauguration. And the way you two were describing just like, oh, you know, there's been like pressure has been lifted off. Like, I feel like even Twitter is uh, more like fun again was like a perfect way to describe it. So, yeah, no, I, look, I think one of the things we've been trying to do, especially like on Positive America, too, but also Love or Leave It is just. Okay, like there are really big policy debates. There are really big political questions. There are really big issues we need to unpack and understand. But also, we've been through an incredibly difficult, traumatic couple of years here. And that's not to say that things before were perfect. They certainly were not. They, they were, you know, if anything, I think we've all internalized the fact that Trump was a symptom of a set of challenges we had not paid enough attention to. And mm-hmm. Trump being gone doesn't solve every problem, of course. But that doesn't mean we can't all take a moment to say, holy shit. like we really did go through a national crisis. It was it culminated in a year of a pandemic that was poorly managed and an election that the uh, previous president tried to throw into um, chaos and dispute. And I think it's going to take time for us to really process that experience, we're all going to be a little weird. We're all going to be a little troubled. We're all going to be a little brittle. And I think that that's okay. But I think one thing I certainly feel like I need is just space to 
talk about that. Like talk about what we learned about politics, talked about uh, some of the hard truths that were exposed by the previous four years and by the last year specifically. Yeah. Um, and people can listen. I mean, how often there's so many crooked media, what, what's the best way for people who want to listen to, to find out where they can find crooked media podcasts and all that go to crooked.com. You can subscribe to any number of podcasts that you so choose. We have a lot of great options. Uh, I think we're not even saying subscribe anymore. We're saying follow. The lingo mm-hmm. is starting to change because follow okay, is okay. a lighter lift. You know, we're all sure, following sure. things yeah. all the time. Follow these <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> so everyone go follow all the Crooked podcasts. You can go to crooked.com for that. So right now, let's jump to the movies that changed it. your life. You chose. By the way, you realize the stakes yes. not the, of changed your life for a movie? <laughs> like, do you realize the stress <laughs> you're putting on your guests in anticipation of these conversations? Like, not movies that influenced you, not movies that shaped <laughs> you, movies that changed your life. That is a yeah. high bar. Yeah, you know, we like putting pressure on the guests. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think that in your career, you'll have, you know, Obama speeches and then right below <laughs> selecting the three movies that we're about to talk about. So if that is the case, then, mm-hmm. we, you know, drop all down on our end. Sure. <laughs> uh, so let's go with your first one. We're going to go in chronological order here. Uh, so the first one will be 1976's Network. This is directed by Sidney Lumet. Written by Patty Chafsky, starring Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Peter Finch, and it is a it is eight point one out of ten on IMDb with one hundred forty six thousand ratings, and it's about a television network cynically exploits a deranged former anchor's ravings and revelations about the news media for its own profit. When you picked this, I was like, duh, like obviously. I mean, I mean, so but talk to me about your relationship with network. So first of all. Let's just be clear here. That 8, 8.1 is a travesty. Like, shame, that, that is pearls before <laughs> swine. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, this film, I actually rewatched it in anticipation of this conversation because of the three, it's the one I, I don't think I'd seen in a couple mm-hmm. of years. And I'm really glad I did because, first of all, every time I watch it, I pick out something new. And what was really striking to me in watching it this time is – So this is a movie about the pernicious influence of television and how Mm -hmm. it was not just reshaping politics, but reshaping interpersonal relationships, reshaping the narratives people tell about their own lives, like the the influence. And I think this is like this happens in our political coverage, too. It's easy to talk about what our problem is with horse race coverage in terms of what issues aren't talked about. Uh, in terms of how it trivializes things, I think what is harder sometimes to talk about is the subtler ways it shapes our culture and the way uh, we think about politics before a word is spoken. And, you know, this is about kind of network to me. It, it, it dives into what happens when TV's take on the world becomes a person's take on life when the TV mm. isn't on. And what was remarkable to me in watching this, the most recent time I watched it is, there's a lot of monologues yeah. in this film. This is a movie of monologues, and they're great. There's this moment where the you know grizzled TV veteran, William Holden, right? It's William Holden. Gives, mm-hmm. Yeah, William Holden. Gives, as Max, gives this speech to Faye Dunaway and basically says, you know, you see everything as bite size. You see everything, the highs and the lows of life as segments. Something, I'm getting this wrong, bastardizing this, but 
I'm watching this and it's like, that's not television, that's Twitter. Like this could mm. well be a, a movie about Twitter. And the the core of the film is this old TV news anchor who in one of the funniest introductions, the narrator says something like, <laughs> his ratings are down and his wife died. We're like just right there together. And he basically announces on screen, he's like, hey, I'm going uh, to kill myself on television. And it's the most YouTuber, <laughs> influencer, <laughs> uh, what, what would you call it? A stunt. A stunt. Yeah, stunt, yeah. Uh, that, that, from 1976. So um, I love the movie. Every time I see it, I see something new in it. The other piece of it that I always think about, and I think about that, more so now. And I actually think this might've been the first time I'd seen it since I'd switched from being a writer to a host. Mm -hmm. And I think there's two ways you can see network. You can see network as a group of people taking advantage of a person having a mental breakdown, Mm -hmm. or you can see it as a group of people being handed a revelation and processing it through television, which ultimately destroys it. And in either Mm -hmm. way, in either version of that, I, I see like there's this commodification of anger of people's genuine kind of inchoate rage processed through this capitalistic enterprise um, and that inevitably, inevitably as authentic a voice as uh, um, Howard Beale is, mm-hmm. it is inevitably inauthentic because it is being sold and right. I think about that as somebody who is at times angry for my job, at times hopeful for my job, uh, and inevitably trying my best to say what I really think. Yet, of course, as a host, I am commodifying my views. I'm commodifying my feelings. I think about that. Sure. I, this movie affected how, affects how I think about that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like when you know, genuine uh, uh, anger and hopelessness mm-hmm. meets television is something I think about all the time. This movie, what shocks me is that, you know, when this was released in 1976, it was actually like promoted as like a dark comedy. Like it was a comedy satire and watching it, like I, I rewatched it again ahead of this interview. It is like a much, it is not, it's not funny almost in like a lot of ways. Like the things that like, I'm sure people are like, Oh, like TV will never get like this, like this whole you know, demagogue on screen could never happen. But after, again, why it's so relevant to me and I'm sure to you is that like, no, this is like very predictive of what actually had happened like to the news media, not just in the last four years, but even in like the, what, five, 10 years prior to that. Um, Did that strike you as any differently from watching it now to, you know, however you remembered it before? So much of what is satire about could you imagine if a TV network did this is now happening. Like don't, not even like haha kind of it's ha- it's happening. Yeah. Like that that it's is happening. what yeah. it is. It is it is uh, real. Right? It is real. And so I think that does make it uh, like it does make some of the humor like kind of you're like it's less satire. It's just describing something that we see. That said like I definitely I I am amazed by like how <laughs> some of the jokes still land. Like I yeah. like I, I do think it's still pretty funny. But yeah, no, I I had the same reaction, especially watching this, especially like after the last four years we had. It's it's a movie that feels different in a post-Trump world because you really do see for you see like there are resonances in the news, there's resonance in politics, um mm-hmm. there's resonance in 
the ways in which the major news outlets have gotten worse in ways that actually this movie couldn't have imagined because Mm -hmm. this movie is still made at a moment when the news only competed against the news, right? Like Mm -hmm. these are all people where they're making a nightly news broadcast and their goal is to beat other news broadcasts. And they bring in entertainment to do that, right? That the Faye Dunaway character is the head of programming. She comes in from the entertainment side to try to zhuzh up the news broadcast. Mm -hmm. Well, here we are, uh, what is it? Oh my God! So oh, close to fifty years later. Fifty <laughs> years later, almost fifty years yeah. later. That's so. Yeah. It's so shocking. It's such a modern movie. Fifty years later, and now not only do we have to bring in entertainment to make the news more interesting, the news has to compete with entertainment too. It's we, the, every single news broadcast is fighting Netflix. It's fighting HBO. It's fighting every streaming service at the same time, which wasn't true in nineteen seventy six. For those who haven't watched, there are maybe like twelve to fifteen seriously amazing monologues that kind of guide the story along. Um, do you have any one in particular that stands out to you? Like when you watched it, you said, Oh, I mean, this is like incredible, incredible. Of course. I, I, I like immediately I say, so Ned Beatty, he plays the CEO of, uh, this multinational corporation and he's trying to do some deal with the Saudis and he brings in Howard Beale into his corporate boardroom and he gives this, sermon uh to howard beale and it is incredible it is mm-hmm. incredible uh but there's a bunch of them i mean there's a bunch of them. i will say i feel like the uh fade done there's a bunch of monologues between holden and fade dunaway that are like all right we get it a little meta they're like they're ahead of their time <laughs> they they shape I, I i that's un- i think that that's um <laughs> blasphemy and part of it is because i think the like meta dialogue of that those scenes were so influential that like now they feel a bit trite, but they weren't right at the time. You've worked with Sorkin and Sorkin was so obviously influenced by network. I mean, I'm sure you can't even point how many times like Sorkinisms got pulled here and there. So also like the movie, uh, they don't do this anymore, but you know, the movie says by Patty Chayefsky, it doesn't say Mm. by the director, it says by the writer, uh, which doesn't happen anymore for folks who haven't seen network go ahead and get to streaming that because it is seriously incredible. And it just, again, try watching it under the guise that this was marketed as a comedy and like a satire because it will shape the way you kind of view the movie. But, um, yeah, 8.1. Come on, (laughs) IMDb 8.1. Get, get to rating. Let's go. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Another satire film that you discuss, that you want to discuss, is the second movie on your list, which is uh, 1985's Brazil. Uh, it has a 7.9 out of 10 with 189,000 7.9? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What a, what a, what is, go- okay, 7.9? Brazil, Brazil was like an under, like, it, it, time is is doing Brazil favors, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, I, I, you know, at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't a big box office hit. Terry Gilliam at the time was still... You know, even now his movies are pretty weird for people, but I think in time this this will keep climbing up with oh. the help of this episode. Yeah, with the help of this episode. Of course, it's not a hit. Like, of <laughs> co- no, it's not a hit. It's a yeah. Oh, you mean this um, <laughs> farcical remake of 1984? <laughs> it's not a hit. No, it's not a hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, of course not. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, ri- directed by the great Terry Gilliam. Uh, some of you may know him from Monty Python, obviously. Written by uh, Terry Gilliam, Tom Stoppard, and Charles McCone. Uh, starring Jonathan Price, Kim Greist, uh, and the great Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Also pops up in here as Harry Tuttle. You bet. Uh, like John-, John said, it is like a satirical look at 1984 where a bureaucrat in a dystopian society becomes an enemy of the state as he pursues the woman of his dreams. Um, yeah, so, so talk, talk to me about Brazil. When was the first time uh, you watched this? I must have been like 18 or 19. And no, I, and, I, and I'm, I think because, don't hold me to that, because I believe I saw it when the Criterion collection of the movie mm-hmm. came out. Because, so this movie has, is a, uh, um, has one of the infamous studio stories in that they were like, oh, no, we f***ing hate this. <laughs> oh, when we gave Terry Gilliam a bunch of money to make 1984, we thought there'd be a happy ending. Great job. Right. Great job, team. Uh, no, 19, uh, couple, couple issues with your process here. I don't know that I'm capable of saying this is my favorite movie i think that like i always feel reluctant Mm -hmm. to say that what does it even mean but if i had to i might say brazil is my favorite movie um i -hmm. love it every time i see it i if it's on it's rarely on let's be honest but if it is i watch it if it's on a streaming service i click play um i think so it is 1984 but it translates it into a kind of vaguely, not steampunk, but kind of, you know, semi-old, semi-new technological dystopia in which... Like film noir yes. also kind of, right? Yeah. Uh, and in which the, the, the organs of the state are represented by evil plumbers. Uh, I don't know. Bob Hoskins <laughs> pops up. Uh, and, uh, Robert De Niro, who is the, uh, kind of, uh, um, one of the heroes of the film. Uh, he's the kind of, he's like a Batman. Yeah. Almost. He's the Batman in this of, movie of- because he's a, um, 
he is a air conditioning repair person that uh, doesn't use the proper forms. <laughs> like that's his, yeah. like that's the, that's his role. He just swoops in and helps you fix your AC without getting permission from the government, which is a huge problem for uh, the government as represented by Bob Hoskins. Also one, there's a great scene where Bob Hoskins and his fellow repair person show up uh, to, uh, uh, fix the AC and in the original, um, in the original version, the way the scene was written, Bob Hoskins was supposed to speak and his, uh, his, uh, other AC repair person was supposed to just be silent. And I don't know how it happened, but the, this other guy who just started repeating everything Bob Hoskins says, and it became this iconic (laughs) scene where there are these two air conditioning repairmen that just repeat each other over and over again. And it's really menacing. Um, but, but I think I love throughout the movie, there are these dream dream sequences in which Mm -hmm. hero of the movie is Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price is constantly imagining what it's like to pursue this woman who he doesn't really know. Uh, but who he has turned into this fantasy in his mind. And I really like it because I think, like, ultimately, like, he doesn't, I mean, again, spoiler for Brazil, he doesn't get to have his fantasy. That doesn't actually happen Mm -hmm. for him. It can't happen, not in this world, because none of it was real. Because not just Mm -hmm. because he lives in uh, a dystopia, not just because this is 1984, but because he doesn't know this woman. He doesn't know her at all. He's put all his hopes and all his dreams and all his fantasies onto a stranger, a stranger who wants absolutely nothing to do with him. No, I'm not interested in you. No, I'm not interested in your help. No, I'm not interested in being around you. No, you can't rescue me. No, no thank you. I am dealing with uh, a (laughs) evil government regime. Uh, I am dealing with a lot right now. I'm not interested in your help. And I always, I just like that. I like that this doesn't give you an easy answer. He doesn't get to have what he thinks he deserves. It's just not, that's not how this world works. Uh, There's also a really great uh, runner about plastic surgery with uh, Mona from Who's the Boss? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And uh, there's this one woman who is just getting uh, uh, supposedly these kind of these upgrades, but she keeps getting sicker and sicker. And I always, I always think about it. Um, but, uh, Robert, I don't know. Robert De Niro is great in it. Jonathan Price is great in it. I just love the movie. It's hard to talk about why I love it. I just love it. Do you think like Gilliam's, uh, vision and sort of his political and dystopian, like commentary on Brazil has sort of shaped the way you've looked at politics or you can speak about politics whether on love it or leave it or like even as you were maybe writing because you wrote for obama's um correspondence center yeah, correct? Yeah. do you think that's like seeped into the way you've thought about comedy and politics at all the answer is yes <laughs> for sure i i think as sort of partisan politics ideologically it's not it's a kind of hard movie to pin down because some of the ev- enemy is like just government bureaucracy like it's, some mm-hmm. of the enemy is putting too much power in the hands of the state, right? And I, I think that's important. I think that that's not something we should be defensive about. Like we should grapple with poorly run government and the harm that it can do while mm-hmm. still supporting uh, and believing in the power of government to give people 
the basic social safety net, give people equity, give people a chance in life. And so I always appreciate that aspect of it, the kind of cold, unfeeling bureaucracy that can, that's this, in this case, it's a, you know, authoritarian government bureaucracy. It can be a corporate bureaucracy. In fact, it, it sort of is in this movie in a lot of ways, a corporate bureaucracy. Um, but I would say that that to me, I think is the part that sticks with me the most, which is how many people inside of this world are just like, I don't want to touch that. Not, actively trying to hurt anybody, not actively trying to help anybody, just trying to keep their heads down and succeed according mm-hmm. to the rules of this system. And the rules of this system are despicable. That was 1985's Brazil. So let's move on to your last pick, something I'm very excited to talk about. This is 1994's Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. This was directed by Neil Jordan, written by Anne Rice, starring Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst and Christian Slater. Iconic, amazing movie. Obviously different than Network and Brazil, but please talk to me ab- about why this you want to talk about this today. Well, I'm 12 years old. And there's I'm a little closeted gay kid and we've got a poster of like some of the hottest actors to ever <laughs> act to ever be hot. And the tagline is, and I, and I, I promise you, I have not, we are going to have this conversation about Interview the Vampire. I, I will tell you, Brazil, Interview the Vampire, I have not seen them in a while. I'm doing this entirely from memory. I'm not Googling a fucking thing. And I'm quite certain that the poster said, drink from me and live forever. And I don't know how long it's going to be until the kids are all right comes out. This is a film <laughs> about two gay co-parents with different philosophies of parenting. That is ultimately what this is. And how yeah. you got, in 1994, you have Brad Pitt, who is, at 1994, who is already quite Brad Pitt. And you have Tom mm-hmm. Cruise in 1994, who is already Tom Cruise. And they're like, let's make a gay love story about two vampires. And by the way, Antonio Banderas comes in for some love triangle action. Christian Slater, who is huge, is the is the mm-hmm. narrator also ultimately a little bit part of this uh, 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 love story. Like, how is that possible? How does this movie exist? They are, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> there are, it, there's so much unspoken homosexuality coursing through this movie. Um, and there's other reasons why I like it, but that is why it uh, is important to me. You said you were a, a, a closeted, mm-hmm. you were still closeted when you watched this. Did you have any other friends like talking about it? What was sort of like the commentary sort of around it when you watch it as a no. kid? No, nothing. <laughs> there's no conversation about this movie. I don't, no one tells me anything. No one see. I don't know. I don't have any conversations. I assume, I assume sometime in around... 1995 this pops up on hbo on a saturday night mm-hmm. back when it was like a big deal that hbo had a new movie every saturday night and i'm sure i saw right. it on hbo or whatever channel it, it and then i just watched and then it, you know that was you would see it would be on like it would be on every day for a month and you i just watched <laughs> it watch it over and over and over again i loved this movie i this movie if interview with the vampire was on I was watching it. There was no reason not to watch it. It was like, anyway, I, this was like, it was, and I didn't even understand at the time. I'm not even sure I knew what was going on, but it was just, yeah. it's like, it wasn't just that like I had crushes on each of these people. It was that I, they had relationships and like mm-hmm. in many, you know, I don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's like that sophisticated to be like, 
Um, is being vampire a metaphor for an alternative lifestyle? And is there right. and is actually the core of the dispute between Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in the movie that Brad Pitt still has some harboring for traditional values and and Tom Cruise is more of a radical gay person who thinks we should cast aside the old human straight ways? Like I don't like this movie like might as well have that printed in the credits. <laughs> so uh Right. <laughs> And did, and did well, I mention that they're like super hot? They're so hot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the the costume work across the board is is phenomenal. I mean, just getting to see Tom and Brad in those low cut shirts with the frills and their wigs. I mean, you, there's it's t- tough to beat that, right? It, tough to beat it. I believe like <laughs> about like uh, like 50, 20 minutes into the movie, like you just come and just like you know you got like. Either I can't even remember which one it is. I assume it's Tom Cruise, just sort of like just sucking on a clearly gay man's neck, just that the the foppishly dressed uh, um, partner <laughs> to that uh, woman who's older. Like, I mean, yeah. what are we doing here? What are we doing here? <laughs> was there a moment in time when like it really became clear to you that this was like obviously a metaphor? for homosexuality and like gay culture and like the movie began to speak to you in a different way. Yeah. I think it was like, I had to do this podcast about movies that changed my life. (laughs) And so I realized, (laughs) wait a second. Oh my, I don't, I have no, I don't remember. I, I, I'm sure that like, so I, I'm sure I saw it, uh, like in that window after it came out on television. And then I, I do remember like in college there was, there was, I would always buy like there were, there were all these deal. This was there was all these deal websites where you could find like six dollar or five dollar DVD sales once in a while, and I would just grab mm-hmm. movies. And I, I remember Interview with the Vampire was one of them that I grabbed. Uh, my movie collection was very eclectic because it was one hundred percent based on sale prices. So it was like I had like <laughs> I feel like I had like Ghostbusters, uh, Interview with the Vampire, the film Ronin starring Robert De Niro, another classic. Mm-hmm. Couldn't make this list because mm-hmm. imagine if I said. The De Niro movie Ronan changed my life. I changed my life. Changed everything. <laughs> yeah, it, it, some someone's head in your house would get a little bigger okay. just hearing it over sure. and over again, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, but so uh, I thought about this movie a lot. I think I, I remember when Brokeback Mountain came out, and again there was another com- there was an explicit conversation that didn't happen around Interview with the Vampire. It was explicitly about like, look, this is a gay movie. Like this, this we're doing it. We're making gay movies. And I remember. Mm-hmm. There was some review that said, we'll know there will have been real progress, not because of a movie like Brokeback Mountain, but because you'll make a movie like One Fine Day. The George Clooney, mm-hmm. is that Meg Ryan? George Clooney, Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Duh. Uh, but uh, that movie, I, and, and they said like, why, what, when will there be, you know, a movie where there's two men in One Fine Day? Still don't have that, by the way. Like still hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. It's 2021. There is still mm-hmm. not been that full big budget rom-com starring two men aimed at everybody hasn't happened you know it's 2021 mm-hmm. you know we're still a long way from that but i remember when brokeback mountain came out it was like <laughs> in many ways there is a more for all the ways in which brokeback mountain was important like interview with the vampire has an adult gay marriage basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. years and years before we were you know, seeing that in the culture. So uh, last question here. With movies like Interview with the Vampire and shows like True Blood, 
why do you think writers keep coming back to vampires as a way of exploring sexuality? I don't know the answer to why vampires are so alluring regard like yeah there you know there's sexual metaphors in it and the danger of sex and the danger of night uh and the danger of uh our um desires I guess you'd say I mean you want to get we can get super uh we can you know we can we can it can be 3 a.m. in a dorm room for a second you know it connects yeah. lust and death to pretty mm-hmm. primitive um, desires and fears, uh, and puts them together. You know, we have had versions of monsters that are both scary and alluring for a long time. There's something about the beautiful, evil, mm. sexual creature that, um, uh, attacks a bunch of different core emotions at once. Desire, mm-hmm. the desire to be desired, the desire to do the wrong thing, the desire to be mm. bad, to like give yourself over to a subculture, whatever that might be, uh, to leave behind your traditional ways. It's, you know, <laughs> Brad mm-hmm. Pitt joins the circus. That's a little bit like what this movie is. He's a normal person and then he he decides to go on this adventure and he regrets it, but he also mm-hmm. gets to live and see a lot more and he gets to, to see the whole world. He starts out... Um, uh, uh, hundreds of years earlier and ends up seeing a sunset in that moment. It's like, you know, I don't know. It's in the poster, man. Drink for me and live forever. <laughs> seems cool. I wouldn't do it. I'd say no. <laughs> I definitely say no. I definitely don't want to be, uh, uh, a super hot bloodthirsty version of myself. I thought about it and I'm going to say no. Yeah, I definitely, I don't want that. Uh, that was a interview with the vampire. So, Final question here. Uh, You chose Network Brazil and Interview with the Vampire. Uh, What is the through line that you see between these three movies? Uh, Let's let's get you stressed one more time. So do you see a through line between these three films as to why you wanted to talk about them today? Um, That is (laughs) why, 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 why what Lowry, Beale, and Louis have in common is they are all on the outside looking in. They are not, they mm. don't feel connected to the world at all. They are, they are, something happens to them. Something happens to them. And from then on, they don't feel like insiders anymore. They feel completely like outsiders. Uh, and um, I think uh, you can draw your own conclusions there. Don't make me say it, you know? <laughs> John, thank you so much. This was a ton of fun to talk about these things. So movies. fun. Thank you for having me revisit these uh folks want to listen to you or the many many podcasts that are available you can go to crooked.com uh check out again love it or leave it pod save america pod save the people keep it take line lots of good options lots of good options uh uh and then where can people keep up with you if they uh want to follow your your musings on pop culture politics etc you can follow me on twitter i suppose John, at John Lovett, it's not that hard to find. No H in John. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was fun, Ian. This was a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to hearing Love or Leave It in a crowd again. I which know. Hopefully would be soon. 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 Almost there. Soon. I want to do Almost something there. outside soon. It's time. It's oh, yeah. time. Yeah, it is time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk soon. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on John and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list. 